and so that helps us do our advertising. So, so our money goes to a good cause. And um, anyway, if you're interested in more about that, you can talk to me after service. But um, I'm going to get started on our sermon series here. We are in the seventh installment of our sermon series called Jesus is Better. And uh, I'm excited about that. How many of you have enjoyed going through the book of Hebrews talking about the betterness of Jesus? Has anybody been helped by that, been encouraged? Good, good. I'm so glad. Um, this is my favorite book of the Bible. And so um, it's been really fun for me to walk through it as well. We're walking verse by verse, word for word, through the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews is, is a powerful book because it was written about 70 AD and it was written to. Uh, Christians who were Hebrews. They were former Jews who had come out of Judaism, and they had put their faith in Jesus and had begun to waver in their faith. They had begun to uh, sort of want to go back to Judaism. They still had um, Jewish friends and family who were constantly telling them about how great Judaism was, and they started to long for the good old days, the good old days when they had rabbis and priests and sacrifices and, and, and all of the old covenant things, all the Old Testament things. They, they were beginning to, to want to go back. And the writer of Hebrews, really, his main mission throughout the book of Hebrews is to encourage them and to challenge them to hold fast to their faith, to not let go of their faith in Jesus. And I feel like this is such an applicable book for us today. Because even though we're not always prone to uh, turn to Judaism, we are prone to lose our faith in Jesus and to place our faith in many other things. Um, oftentimes, we, we, we tend to go back. We tend to go back to wherever we came from, whatever we had our faith in before. Um, whenever things get difficult, we, we sort of uh, revert to our original um, uh, mainstay, our, 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 our resting place, our safe place. And what, and what the writer of Hebrews is really saying is that Jesus is that safe place. Jesus is that place that you can now find rest for your soul. And uh, it takes a, it's a bit of a process. It takes some time to learn that. But I hope that uh, for, for those of you who have trusted in Jesus as your Savior, I, I hope that this sermon series is, is helping you to, to further rest in Jesus. And for those of you who have never trusted Jesus as your Savior, I, I hope that it's still beneficial to you as well, that you can see uh, if you were to trust in Jesus, this is what you could have. This is what is on offer. This is what's on the table for you. Um, there is a place of rest for your soul. Uh, you've heard of a place of rest for your body and for your mind, but there is a place of rest for your spirit and for your soul, and his name is Jesus. And so uh, we've been talking about Jesus and how he is better than anything else that we might want to put our faith in. Uh, the first week, we talked about Jesus is better than, than angels, um, and uh, for those of you who've never struggled with Jesus being better than angels, uh, go back and listen to that podcast that really is applicable to us as well. Um, the first couple chapters is about how Jesus is better than angels. The, the next chapter is about how Jesus is better than Moses. And of course, for, for many of us here, we've never debated that. We've never thought that Moses was all that great. But to the Jewish mind, Moses is an amazing character. And so it was very applicable to us as well. And our, all of our podcasts are available online. Um, Jesus is better than Moses. And then Jesus is better than milk. And that's chapter four. And um, uh, that was probably one of my favorite because it talks about, we, we, we talked about how Jesus is better than what we often call maturity. Um, we, we, there are many ways to measure Christian maturity, but um, the real measurement of Christian maturity is faith and trust in Jesus. It's not how much, of a Christ, how much like a Christian you can look or act or sound, but it's how much do you trust in Jesus. 
that's the question of Christian maturity. And so uh, Jesus is better than milk. And then we get to the center of the book, right around chapter 5, late chapter 4. Chapter 5 and 6 really is the, the middle, literally, of the book of Hebrews. But it's also sort of the, the center of the argument uh, of the writer of Hebrews. He, he, it's, it's almost like he starts on the outside and he moves to the inside. Or like if, he, if he's building something, he starts on one side of the mountain and he climbs up to the top. The top of the mountain is right in the middle of the book, which is Jesus is a better high priest. Jesus is a better priest. He's not, he's not like human priests. He's not like a, 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 a human mediator that comes between you and God. He actually is God, and he's the mediator. So he's, he's so much of a better high priest, and he's a better way to connect with God, which we talked about last week. And so if that's the top of the mountain, then the other side of the mountain is this part that we're getting ready to embark on today. In the next two weeks, we're going to finish up the book of Hebrews. We're going to look at a little bit of chapter 10, chapter 11, and a little bit of 12 today, and then we'll get into 12 and 13 next week. So if you didn't get your Bible reading in already, you're going to get it in right now. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn to it or turn it on your phone or whatever. If not, we have it on the screen. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. We're going to start at chapter 10, verse 35 says, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward for you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now, the just shall live by faith. That's a key phrase right there. The just, the righteous people, shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Get an amen there? Is anybody of that, of that persuasion? <laughs> okay. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by a word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he also condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, and heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for a city whose foundations and builder and maker is God. By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age. By the way, she was about 100 years old at that point. Because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, in that he was so old, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and innumerable as the, as the sand which is by the seashore. All these died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them 
embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better. There's that word again. They desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, who had received the promises, offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also had received him in a figurative sense. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Now, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. Everybody still with me? All right. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Wow. For he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they, the children of Israel, passed through the Red Sea as through dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith... The harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she received the spies with peace. And what more shall we say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of aliens, women received their dead to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance in order that they might obtain a more better resurrection. Still others had trials of mocking and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. That means they were hit with stones. Uh, (laughs) Just just so we keep that in, in line there. (laughs) They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. All of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Going into chapter 12 a little ways, he says, therefore, in light of this whole sermon I just got done preaching, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and he sat down at the right hand, the throne of God. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's still applicable to us today. Thank you that it it still speaks. I thank you that you cannot be separated from your word. (laughs) 
the word became flesh and dwelled among us. So I pray that you would reveal yourself to us today through your word. Help us to see Jesus. Help us to, to learn how to uh, live by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, a couple weeks ago, um, uh, one of our members, Lindsay, posted something on Facebook I was going to read to you guys today. I, I, I normally like to start out with something a little bit funny, um, <laughs> a funny story or something, but I, I thought this was kind of funny. Twelve reasons Christians don't attend sporting events. Um, first of all, the coach never came to visit me. Okay. Second, second of all, every time I went, they asked for money. Thirdly, people in my row didn't seem very friendly. Number four, the seats were pretty hard. <laughs> Number five, the referees made decisions I didn't agree with. Number six, I was sitting with hypocrites. They only came to see what others were wearing. Number seven, the band played too loudly. Number eight, some games went into overtime and I was late getting home. <laughs> Somebody said, ouch. Number nine, the band played songs I never heard before. A lot of stuff about the band. I don't know what's up with these Christians in the band. Uh, <laughs> number 10, my parents took me to too many games when I was growing up. <laughs> number 11, since I read a book on sports, I feel that I know more than the coaches anyway. <laughs> and number 12, I don't want to take my kids because I want them to choose for themselves what sport they like best. So if any of you think that's still talking about sports, you can uh, talk to me afterward. Um, I saw, I saw there were some comments on Facebook. They were like, those stupid Christians, they don't even go to sporting events. And I'm like, yeah, I am. Um, hmm. I'm glad you had the word stupid in there because that's what I was. Anyway, so yeah, so yeah, Christians and sporting events, it's lots of fun. But um, we're going to be talking about uh, faith and living by faith, the other side of the mountain, really. Um, if Jesus is better, which we've pretty much established is better than all these things, how does that mean we should live? Like, how should we walk out of this? Should we, how should we live? How does this impact? How does this affect our lives? We've been talking a lot about resting and trusting in Jesus and leaning, leaning on Jesus. And, 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 and that, is a big, that is a big part of it. But, but then the writer of Hebrews, he steps into chapter 11 and he starts referencing um, some heroes of the faith. And they're even heroes of our faith. I mean, if you've been in church at any length of time, then you know that these guys are the best of the best. I mean, they are the greatest of the great. They are the Michael Jordans of, of, of Judaism and Christianity. I mean, you're talking, uh, he starts at the very beginning, really, of human history. He starts with Abel, the first kids of Adam and Eve. And he, and he looks at Abel's great faith, that even though it seems like Abel had no real commandment to go off of, Abel offered a sacrifice to God that pleased God. And he did it even at the risk of his own life. He knew that he was, his brother was jealous and he eventually was killed because of it. And it was just an amazing faith and, and for no other reason other than that Abel wanted to be close to God. There was no, he wasn't trying to build a church. He wasn't trying to do any kind of institution. He just wanted to be close to God. And his great faith brought him close to God. And so he starts at the very beginning of human history, and he, and he starts talking about that. And he, he really kind of sets the stage for uh, what's going to be my final point. But he really sets the stage for how then should we live. But he starts off with a warning. And he starts off there in chapter 10. He says, he says now, uh, he says, therefore, in light of what I've been saying in chapter 10, don't cast away your confidence, 
For you have need of endurance that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. So if you're wondering how one should live, if you're wondering how you should live, there it is right there, that we should live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So the, really the first point that I would like to say, the first way that we should live is don't go back. <laughs> don't draw back. There's, there, there, there is such a thing as failure, but the greatest failure is a failure of faith. You see that? He says, he says the, the way we should live, the just, the righteous people, shall live by faith, not by good works, not by a perfect moral code. The just, righteous, the righteous people live according to faith. And, and the same is true like when, when, when Peter, the, the disciple of Christ, when Peter uh, was about to betray Jesus, the darkest moment in Peter's life, Jesus tells Peter this. Jesus says, Peter, look, you're going to betray me three times before the rooster crows tonight. And Peter says, no way, I'm never going to do it, not going to happen. And Jesus says, well, okay, actually you are, but, you know, if you want to argue with omniscience, you can, you can try that. Um, and Peter, Peter's the kind that he would try it, you know. He's like, no, you're wrong, you know. You might be God, but you're clearly wrong. And, 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 and God just kind of chuckles, I think, inside. And God says, okay, but here's the deal, Peter. I've, I'm praying for you. And isn't it good to know that Jesus is praying for you? If anybody's praying for me, I want Jesus praying for me. But it's interesting what Jesus was praying. Jesus didn't say, I'm praying, Peter, that I'm wrong. I'm praying that you're going you're gonna to turn this thing, man. You're going to be, whoa, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna surprise me. I'm going to hit the angels and be like, oh, geez, I didn't see that coming. Like, that's not what he prays for. He doesn't pray that Peter doesn't betray him. He doesn't pray that Peter acts correctly. It's not his prayer. He says, Peter, I'm praying for you that your faith will not fail. Because he knew other parts of him were going to fail. <laughs> he knew his moral code was going to fail. He knew his commitment was going to fail. He knew his, his fortitude and his strength and, his, and even his focus was going to fail. But, but he says, I'm praying that your faith doesn't fail. Because you can have all sorts of failure but when you have a faith failure, that's when you have real failure. Failure is not the opposite of success. Failure is the absence of faithfulness. And so the, the first point that I would tell you is to hold on to your faith. Even, even, if, even, even if you're stumbling in your, in your character, even if you're stumbling in your walk, even if you're stumbling in your, in, in, in your moral code and in your commitments and in your focus, do not lose your faith. Because this is how the just live. The just live by faith. The just live by faith. And so you have to be able to, even in the midst of a storm, even in the midst of craziness, to hold on to your faith. Because the one who draws back is the one that his soul has no pleasure in. The only way you can fail is to quit. The only way you can fail is to stop getting back up and to stop moving forward. So that's a heavy first point, but that's my first point to you. Don't quit. Don't turn back. Don't, don't go back. Keep moving. You might not be moving at the speed you would like. You might not be moving the way you would like. You might not be moving as gifted and as, and as powerful and all that kind of stuff, but keep moving forward. This is, this is the key to the Christian life. This is the key to living out this faith. This is the key to simply say, I, I might fail, I might, I might fumble the ball, but I'm going to get back up and I am going to try again. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep going forward. 
Yeah, yeah, that's all right. You can get a little excited. In fact, in some churches, they would say this, lean over and tell your neighbor, say neighbor. No, no, say neighbor. <laughs> say don't quit. Okay, now, you, now turn to the neighbor you ignored just a minute ago. No, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. We're not going to do that. We're not, it's not, that's not how we roll. <laughs> Plus, I'll go hoarse if I preach like that the whole day. I will not be talking anymore. But this is, this is the key. Like, you don't quit. Don't quit. Keep moving forward. Keep, keep going at it. You might fail in every area, but don't let your faith fail. And then, and then as we jump into chapter, uh, chapter 11, we see that, that this is exactly what, what is going on in chapter 11. Verse 1, he starts off by saying, uh, now faith. He starts describing faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. For by faith, the elders received good testimony. By faith, we understand that the world's that's plural, worlds were framed by the word from God. Now, I don't have a whole lot of time to break that down, but that's actually really interesting because in the original language, the word world is not really used in terms of the way we think of world. Like when I think of world, I think of like a planet. But this world actually means an age or a time period. So he's not really necessarily talking just about worlds in space flying around, floating around. He's not talking about Genesis chapter 1 where God said, you know, let there be light and let, let there be clouds and mountains and all that kind of... He's not talking about when God created that because that's just one world. But, but, but he's talking about the worlds or the ages that God has been creating. You see, God, yes, he created everything, but he didn't stop there. He's still creating He's still creating our world. He's still shaping our world. He's still active in our world. He didn't just create it, spin it, and then walk away and let it, let it just kind of take care of itself. He is still active and involved in our world, in your world, and in my world. He's still creating. And so, you know, sometimes you can think that God's stepped away because there's so much craziness in our world. But the truth of the matter is God is still creating within our world. He's still making his will known, and, and he's still accomplishing his purposes in our world. And so this is what he's saying. He says, by faith we understand that the worlds or the ages or history was written by faith in a word from God. And then he starts going down that history. He starts at Abel, and he walks right on down. And he starts talking about, first of all, men and women who, who were looking for a better country, who are looking for a better place. And it's that same idea of don't stop, don't quit, keep moving, keep moving, keep walking forward. Uh, this, this, is, this is not your home. This, this world is not your home. You don't belong here. You don't fit in here. And that's okay because God is preparing something better for you. And that's exactly what these great men of old, I mean, just think of Abraham, right? God calls Abraham and, and says, I want you to go to a place that I'm going to show you. I was once talking to a guy, and he, um, he was dealing with, with things like in his family and, and marriage and kids and, and life and job. And, and he said, I just want God to speak to me like he spoke to Abraham. And I said, really? I said, so, you know, you, you, you understand God never spoke to Abraham until he was 75 years old. So, you know, you got a little while to wait, first of all. <laughs> So let's wait. Let's just let's hold, let's hold up. Call me up when you're 75. Then you're ready for God to speak like a couple sentences to you. Basically, get up, leave, go on an extended camping trip. I'm going to show you where to go. Don't worry about that. I'm going to bless you. Just go. 
This is what this is what God God waits until Abraham Abraham never heard from God as far as we know until he was seventy five years old, and then God speaks to him and he obeys immediately and he goes just 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 starts camping. Now I don't know about you, but I hate camping. Right, like everything is damp all the time. It's not like so wet that you can wring it out. But it's just wet enough to drive you insane. Like everything is sticky and wet and moist and just, I don't even like the word moist, you know. It's just like, you know, it's, it's not comfortable. Like we build houses because we don't like camping. But for some reason, we, we, we buy a house, get in debt, and then we move out of the house occasionally for fun to go camping. Like this is not okay in my book. So I don't do this, but, but honestly, ever since the flood, I feel like I've been camping because I'm living in a house that's kind of like damp all the time, and, and our walls are sort of half there, and not, I don't know what's going on. And uh, I was up at 2 o'clock last night trying to kill a mouse that had like come through our walls, and I was like out there with like a trap and stuff. And anyway, it's quite fun, anyway, my, my, my existence right now. But camping is not, and this is, what, this, is what, this is what Abraham subscribes to. He goes camping, and he's 75 years old. He dies at about 130. He never stops camping. He's camping for 55 years. The last 55, maybe the first 55 you could do it, but the last 55, I mean, you know, that's, that's the time when you go into, you know, like retirement. You get a, get a mobile home, you travel the U.S., kick your feet up, visit the grandkids. I mean, that's, that's what that's supposed to be about, but not for good old Abraham. He's, he's traveling around in a tent. Why? Because he's obeying God. And so people say, well, I, I, I wish God speak to me like he did, like he did Abraham. Well, maybe not, because he told him once, he said, okay, uh, at age 75, he says, now go, and I'll bless you, and it'll be great. And then he, he goes, and he finds the land, and, and when, he, when he arrives in, 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 in the promised land, God says, you're here. It's awesome. Now you're going to have a child. And remember, he's like 76 years old, 75 years old still at this point. And then there's 25 years goes by before he has any before he has a child like one kid and he was told he was going to have a whole bunch of kids but he's got you know one kid after 25 years and so i don't really want god to speak to me like that personally i'd rather he speak to me a little more often you know a little more frequent a little more assuringly but this is this is the way that abraham and this is abraham's faith which is so amazing he just goes out and he obeys and he does it and um and i mean every single time i've heard preachers preach on this i mean there's so much we can model simply after the faith of Abraham. That Abraham, he, he, he even sacrifices that one son, that one child that he has. God asks him to, to, to kill him, uh, and it's sort of like a test. And so he, he goes to kill him, and then God says, okay, I saw that you're going to do that. But really, it's symbolic of what's going to happen with Christ, that God's going to sacrifice his son. And so, so God is playing out uh, prophecy through the life of Abraham. And it's just amazing. But anyway, Abraham's faith enables all of that. And then in uh, chapter 11, verse 13, if we can go there, this, this really sums up that whole group of people. These all died in faith. Verse 13 says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers on the earth. Man, that is, if you want to know how to live by faith, that's a good, that's a good recipe right there. You see the promise of God, you embrace the promise of God, and you confess the, the promise of God. The, the word confess means to say the same thing. 
In, 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 in other words, faith is not so much about trying to conjure up something that you believe is true. Faith is really coming into agreement with what God says is true. And these guys came into agreement with God. They saw the promise afar off, and they, they embraced it. They grabbed a hold of it, and they lived by it. That's a good recipe for how to walk by faith. Thirdly, they start accomplishing some great things. We see, we see Moses and his great sacrifice in verse 24 through 26, that he, he esteemed the, the approach, the reproach of Christ, greater than the riches of Egypt, and the riches of Egypt were quite something, and he had the riches of Egypt. Moses could have enjoyed the riches of Egypt, but instead he chose to identify, and it's interesting that he says Christ, because Christ wasn't even born at this point, but he, he chose to identify with Christ that somehow Moses had seen Christ, and he knew that this was symbolic of Christ, and yeah, let's just go ahead and go there. Uh, chapter 11, verse 24 says that he uh, that by faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the treasures of Egypt. For he looked to the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. By the way, real faith will make you fearless. He didn't fear the wrath of the king. Why? Because he endured as seeing him who was invisible. He, he saw Jesus. Somehow, Moses was able to look down through history and see the Son of God, and that's what gave him the power to move forward, to, to reject Egypt and to join the people of God. By faith, he kept the Passover uh, with the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. That's when they, that's when they, 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 they killed the lamb. They, they put the blood on the doorpost. It took faith to believe that that simple gesture was going to keep uh, the death angel out. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. Because the Egyptians only had courage. They didn't have faith. The people of Israel had faith. Faith and courage are two different things. Courage is, 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 a, is a blind, crazy belief that everything's going to be all right. <laughs> faith is an agreement with God what God's already said. And so the Egyptians had courage, and they ran into the, the Red Sea, and then it, it folded on top of them. But, but the, the, the Hebrews, they, they believed, they agreed with God, and they were able to walk through on dry land. And this is, what, this is what faith is. And so he starts talking about, by faith, uh, the harlot Rahab didn't perish with those who did not believe. When they came to Jericho, they found, uh, they, they, they found a lady who lived actually in the wall or next to the wall of Jericho. They used to build, the wall of Jericho was so huge, they used to build houses in the, into the sides of the wall. And the spies hung out with Rahab, and Rahab helped them. And, and then they said, okay, now, now if you hang a, a scarlet uh, cord out of your window, we'll be sure when we take over the city, we'll be sure to spare you and anybody that's in, that's in your house. And what's interesting is a couple, few months ago, I was preaching on uh, Jericho, and I talked about how, the, how a lot of the ruins of ancient Jericho were discovered, I think, in the 1940s. Um, they, they, they had found the way that the wall had fallen. It had fallen outward, that the, the wall had, uh, it, was a, it was a double wall, and it, they had both bent outward so that the people of Israel could literally climb up like a ramp. And what I didn't say is that they, it, 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 when, when they discovered it, in, in, in the digging, they found that there was actually about a 20-foot section of the wall that had remained standing. I don't know, but maybe that was Rahab's house because the Bible says that she was saved and that, and that even though, and that's, by the way, that, that, that's what faith will do for you. Faith, even when everything's crumbling all around you, faith will say, I am safe in my faith. 
I am secure in my faith. I am steady in my faith. My, my house isn't, these, these houses are going to fall. My house is not going to fall. And that takes a lot of faith. But that's what faith will do because faith comes into agreement with the word of God. And so Rahab, you know, is another awesome example of faith. These are all great accomplishments through faith. But then the end of chapter 11, I think, is what's so powerful, because he's building this. It reads like a powerful sermon, right? He's talking about mockings and people being sawn in two and people dying for their faith and trusting God and, 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 and children being raised from the dead. And it's like, wow. And then, and then he ends it, and it sounds like he's going to say, and these guys, these were the best of the best, and you'll never measure up. And the Hebrews would have said, that's right. The people reading this letter would have been like, yeah, man, we'll, we, those guys, you know, would never be, Abraham, Father Abraham, you know, will never be like, we can never amount, we couldn't even dream about being in the same cul-de-sac as that guy. We hope to be in the same state as Abraham, maybe in heaven, you know, I live in Abraham's state, but nobody could ever measure up to Abraham or Moses or, or Joshua or Gideon or David or Samson, all these great men and women, Sarah, I mean, all these great people, faith, yeah, I'll never measure up, Enoch, Enoch literally had luncheons with God, like he literally walked, just walked around with God and talked and chatted with him. And then he didn't even die. God just zapped him up into heaven. I mean, there's no way that we could compare. But what does the writer of Hebrews say? He says, these all obtained a good testimony through faith, but did not receive the promise. Why? Because God provided something better for us. That's shocking to me even now because every time i've heard preachers preach through this they always just go wow wow you got to be like this and then you got to be like that and then sort of like what i've been doing i've been talking about how they are good examples for us but what the writer is saying he's saying i'm not giving you these examples just to teach you how to live by faith i'm giving you these examples to let you know that there is actually something better than the faith of abraham Better than the faith of Moses? Better than the faith of David to go up against the Goliath? Really? There's something better? And that's the title of my message today. Jesus is something better. There is something better. There is something better for you and I that we have that these guys did not have. And I think sometimes we can get so nostalgic, right? Like we can look back and be like, oh, yeah, man, whoa, we'll never be like those guys. Those, those are the best. And we can get so nostalgic, so wrapped up, and we look back with longing, just like these ancient Hebrews were. Just like these ancient Hebrews would look back and with longing at these great heroes of their faith. And they felt, man, we'll never, we'll never measure up to that. Man, if we could just, oh, if we could just have the faith of Abraham, the faith of Moses, the faith of David, oh, if I could go there, then I would be, then I would be something. Then it, man, whoa, it would be awesome. But we get so nostalgic and we look back with longing. But what the writer of Hebrews is saying, those guys back there, they were looking forward with longing. It's almost like they're at a standoff with their ancestors. They're looking back and their ancestors are looking forward. And their ancestors are like, what are you looking back here for? There's nothing back here. We were looking to your day. 
We were looking to what you're experiencing. The faith that we had didn't come because simply because we wanted the Jewish people to have a better place to live or because of this or because of that. The faith that we had is because we saw Jesus. And what's amazing is we can actually be in a time and a space when we have Jesus, and yet we feel like we don't even have the faith of those who were looking to Jesus. They were looking to the one that we have. <laughs> That's what stirred up their faith. That's what enabled them to do these amazing things and to live for God in such an incredible way. And that's why the something better is not just uh, a, a better way of connecting with God. It's not just a better model or a better process or a better church setting or service or better. It, the, the something better is Jesus. Because he is, as he says in chapter 12, he is the author and the finisher of our faith. This past week, I, uh, I, uh, Wednesday, I came down with a stomach virus. I don't know if any of you have gotten that. It's pretty nasty. It's going around. Our whole family has gotten it except for Ro. Um, she's, she's happy about that. Uh, Madden started a week ago. Micah started Monday night, and I started Wednesday night. And it's, it's pretty rough. It's like, it's like a waterfall uh, both, both ends. So it's probably don't need to hear that. But anyway, it's, it's so unnatural. It shouldn't happen. I don't understand that. It's like... Liquid should not be going out either of these ways. And it's just, it's awful. And so it started for me Wednesday night, and I'm vomiting and all this stuff. And, and, um, and, and so I'm, we're, we're already kind of in a house that's in flux. And so I'm sleeping on a, a, an air mattress and um, waking up every hour on the hour for like eight hours and um, just kind of doing my thing and then passing out. And... Um, you know, it's like in those times, those are not really highly spiritual times, usually. Um, I don't know about you all. But, um, but it was one of those things where the, 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 the scripture that I was quoting was a scripture in Isaiah, where he's talking about the Messiah. And he says, uh, surely he has borne our, our, our grief and carried our sorrows. And uh, it talks about how he, he, he carried our sicknesses as well, and how by his stripes we have been healed. There's that passage, by his stripes we have been healed. That's in Isaiah. Now, Isaiah's Old Testament, some of these guys that, that Hebrews is talking about. And so I was just quoting that to myself. By his stripes, I am healed. By his stripes, I'm healed. And sometimes I think that is faith. Sometimes faith is like when, when the symptoms are there and you still put faith in the outcome. I'm going to be healed. I am going to be healed. This is, you know. Uh, and that, that, there is some faith in that. But, but one of the things that's been bothering me all week is, is, is how in the world do I have something better? I mean, I, I, I know I have Jesus, but, but how, is that, how is that better than what Abraham had? And to some extent, I think it's because we, 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 we still live in like, a, like an Abraham-type faith. We still primarily focus on promises. That's what they focused on. They grabbed a hold of the promises of God. Uh, which, which Isaiah wrote about, uh, by his stripes I am healed. And so I'm, I'm quoting that promise, and I'm, I'm grabbing hold of that promise. And, and finally, at about 8 a.m., God just spoke to me. and was like, how many, like, like, what, like, do you understand I already, the stripes already happened. Like, you're not Isaiah. You know what I mean? Because Isaiah was writing it by faith. He was looking forward. 
But now, the stri- this is 2,000 years later, the stripes happened. The healing's been paid for. God's not going to do anything more to heal me now than he did 2,000 years ago. He already did it. And I, and, I, and, and, and I know you can get all weird with this and start commanding all sorts of things, but I just decided just to grab a hold of the reality that I am healed. Instead of just asking for this, this promise of healing, but rather to grab a hold of the reality that the healer is already with me. Because it's one thing to have a promise. It's one thing to live by promise. It's one thing to walk by promise and to just grab a promise, and that's my promise. And, and promises are great, but when you have the promise, sir, and you're still holding on to the promise, you're, 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 you're missing the fulfillment of it. And so about 8 a.m., I was like, this is kind of ridiculous. I shouldn't be sick. There's, this should not be happening. So I just started telling my body what I wanted to happen. And I, started, I just started saying, look, this isn't right. This is not legally right. You've already been healed. There shouldn't be symptoms. There shouldn't be that. And, and, and I began feeling better. And I don't know if that's the way I should do it all the time. But, but I, I, think, I think just not, not only with physical healing, but I think with mental health and with, and with relational issues and with so many stuff that we lean on promises, sometimes you've got to get a little uh, ticked off, I guess, at, at the, what the devil is stealing from you and decide this is rightfully mine. This is, I have the promiser with me. I'm not looking ahead to some future event and Jesus is going to, he's already died and rose again. He's already got the power in his hands. There's no, well, we wait till that, wait until, no, there's no waiting. All the Old Testament, Isaiah, I mean, I, I love the word, but the word became flesh and dwelled among us. At some point, you got to embrace the flesh of the word and, and say, I love Isaiah, but that was a promise. I have the promiser with me. There's a passage in, there's a passage in the New Testament, in John chapter 5, verse 2, uh, and I don't have time to read it, but the, there's this sheep gate, and there's a guy, and I preached on this about six months ago, there's a guy sitting by the pool of Bethesda, it's called, and he's, and, and, and he's lame, and I, yeah, okay, we have it up there, and so uh, there, there, there lay a great number of sick people, they were blind, lame, paralyzed, and they were waiting for the moving of the water, because, and this is really strange, I don't know how this happened, but apparently an angel occasionally would go down at a certain time into the pool and stir the water. Whenever the water was stirred, whenever somebody stepped in first, that person was made well of whatever disease that he had. Now there was a certain man there who had an infirmity 38 years. Jesus saw him lying there. He knew that he had already been in that condition a long time and said to him, do you want to be made well? Look at this guy's response. The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred but while I'm coming, another one steps in before me. He doesn't even answer the question. Because he's been sitting around this pool for 38 years, focusing on the pool. And for him, he cannot distinguish his healing from the pool. The, those two are synonymous. Jesus says, do you want to be made well? He hears, do you want to get in the pool? He says, well, here's my problem with the pool. I can't really get in the pool. He, he, those two things are so uh, infused together that he cannot separate them. And, and sometimes I feel like all of humanity is just like this pool of Bethesda. It's like all of us are sick and we're all lame in some way or another. We're all a little bit paralyzed. We're all a little bit messed up. And we gather around 
promises and we stare at and we focus on promises and we we're like you know i just i it's just it's just it's, i i just have to jump in at just the right time and i just have to and, and somebody gets in in front of us somebody steps in over top of us and we never seem to get in at just the right moment and what jesus does here is jesus steps he's not in the pool he's outside the pool he's standing next to the man and jesus is the promiser he's the healer he's better than any angel He's greater than any angel, and he's standing there saying, do you want to be made well? And we can't get our eyes off the pool. And I think that's such a beautiful picture of where we get stuck. And we're like, yeah, Lord, I really want to be made well. Let's just, let's, you want to come watch the pool with me? Check it out. Maybe, maybe, maybe you could chuck me in there. That'd be awesome, okay? So, Lord, uh, when, it, when, it, when it stirs, like, you're going to get this leg. So-and-so is going to get that leg. And, and then we're going to throw me in because I, I got to get this timing right. And it's, that's like what we do with God. God's like, God's like, okay, do you want to be made well? It's like, yeah, yeah, Lord, if you could just fix, like, my marriage and, like, deal with that and with her because she needs some help. And, and uh, you know, my kids, and they're a little bit crazy. And, Lord, if you could just, it's not a good time to say amen. Uh, and, you know, and, 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 you know my, my workplace, and he goes, if you can fix this stuff, I'll be okay. If you could just do that, just get me in my pool at just the right time, okay? All right, all right here, one, two, three, go. Here we, here we go. And then God's just standing there going, no, no, actually, wanted you to know, I wanted to know if you wanted me to make you well. Don't settle for a life leaning on chance and happenstance and promises and, and, and when you have the promiser with you. We have something better than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and Noah. And just think, if their faith, if they saw if they saw him who was invisible and they had faith like they had, what kind of faith should we have when we hold him who is invisible? When we have him within us all the time, constantly. It's, 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 it's mind-boggling that they, they, they turned the world upside down. And so I'll just close by saying this. I feel like that we are going to, and we have at City Chapel, been doing some amazing things. God's been doing some amazing things here in the city. And I feel like it's just the very beginning. We're not even a year old. I think in the coming weeks and coming months that Austin's going to get turned upside down. And, 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 and here's the deal. It's not easy. It's not without sacrifice. I can tell you it's not without personal loss. You are not going to impact the kingdom of God without personal loss, without suffering and sacrifice. And years from now, people are going to look back and say, why, why, why did you do that? What caused you to do that? Like Moses, what caused you to leave Egypt? What in the world? What would make you, you know, just let go of that and step away from that? Because many of us are going to have to step away from stuff. And here's the deal. When they ask us that, I don't even think that question is going to make sense. Because we're going to be like, well, I wasn't really stepping away from that relationship. I was stepping into Jesus. I, I, what did I give up anyway? What, remind me. What did, I, what did I sacrifice? What did I give up? Did I give up? Any, I got Jesus. Did I give up anything? Did I lose anything? Wait a minute. Hold on. This was an exchange of like, you know, a, a, a field with a treasure buried in it. This was, a, this was an amazing thing for me. What do you mean? I, I didn't give up. I didn't sacrifice anything. I gained Jesus. And I want to tell you, that is the way that you live by faith. 
Jesus is the destination. I mean, he is the object of our faith, and we lean on him and we look to him, but he's also the author of our faith, so he's the starting point of our faith. He's the reason why we get up and leave our hometown. He's the reason why we get up and set up this every Sunday. He's the reason why we, why, why we go out to the streets and why we minister to people. He's, he's the, 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 the motive, the push behind it. It's, there's, there's, there's him. And he's there, and he's, he's, he's guiding us and, 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 and comforting us. And we're so content. Do you know these, these folks were so content? This is what's amazing to me. Moses, right, he leaves all of Egypt, and he's content to live out in the desert with a bunch of people that are complaining about him all the time. And he's content. He doesn't need anything else. And yet we often have Jesus, and we're like, okay, so what else? What else can I get here? Uh, really, would really like a new car, really, really like a better house, really like, I, I think you haven't really gotten Jesus then, because when you get Jesus, you are content with Jesus. He's enough. And this is why promises are good and promises are great. Promises, you know, are, but, but when you have the promiser with you, his grace is sufficient for you, whether you're in sickness or whether you're in health, whether you're in prosperity or whether you're in poverty. There's, there's not, you know, it's, 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 he's enough. If simply seeing him is enough, holding him is definitely enough. And so if you'd like to start that relationship today, I want to give you a chance to respond to this message. And the way we do it here is simply just by raising a hand. And some people actually stand and just raise their hand. But if you'd like to respond to this message right now, we're going to pray. We're going to bow our heads and close our eyes and just take... 60 seconds to come before the Lord and just give a response. And sometimes it's just a verbal response, but I think sometimes a physical response can be helpful too. And so if you want to receive this Jesus into your life, you want to start this relationship, why don't you raise your hand right now and just say, that's me and I'm going to start that and I'm going to begin that journey with Jesus. I need Jesus in my life and I'm choosing today to put my faith in Jesus and and, and I'm choosing to allow him to write faith in me, to author faith in me. It's awesome. Go ahead and pray this with me then. Just, just say, dear Jesus, forgive me for going my own way. I'm going to follow you. I put my faith in what you have done for me. And I believe that you're able to lead me for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's awesome. Lord, I thank you for everyone who's putting their faith in you today. I thank you for people who are renewing their commitments, people who are deciding for the first time to follow you. Thank you that you are faithful. (laughs) It's not necessarily our faithfulness that we look to, but it's your faithfulness. You are so faithful and you are so good. And so we choose to put our faith not in what we can do, but in what we can believe and what we can rest and what we can trust. Help us, Lord, in every area, every single area of our life that we lean on ourselves. (laughs) Help us to take that way off of us and shift it over to you. You are enough. Whether in sickness or in health, you are enough. Thank you that we have you. Amen. Amen.